Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Drinking a little drink, smoking a little smoke, getting down to business. For ourselves and for future generations, a new world order. We check mark ass fucks. We know that the best is yet to come. God bless you and God bless America. You gotta go down the hole. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. The world is fucking burning. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Nikola Tesla is my boy. But we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. Conspiracy. How are you doing, rabbit holders? We got a good one for you today. We are joined by the odd man out, and we get into global think tanks that control our world, and also the QAnon psyop, and a couple other things. Um, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll get right into it. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. You should give it a shot. All right. What's happening, everyone? I'm your host, Mitch Vuk, and as always, I'm joined here with my co-host, Tyler. Tyler, how you doing? What's going on, boys and girls? Today, we are going down the hole with the host of the Oddcast and a longtime truth seeker, the Odd Man Out. Odd Man, how are you doing? Hey, doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. No, no thanks, problem, brother. Thanks for giving us some of your time. Um, our first question to our guests is always, what sent you down the rabbit hole? What started your truther journey? Oh, man. Um, well, not to be long-winded, but I, I got into politics just just before 9-11, probably like six months, months before 9-11. I mm-hmm. never really cared about it before then. And I was just kind of dabbling in it. And um, then 9-11 happened, and I got deeply into it and I became this super, super conservative guy. And after a few years, I, I can't say one specific thing, but I, I was listening to um, – stuff like no agenda, the show, no agenda. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they would talk about all these documents. They would actually read the documents and declassified documents and stuff like that. And I was really interested in that kind of stuff. And I was kind of, I'd just begun to, uh, look into Edward Bernays propaganda, the famous book. And so, uh, I think it was those two things, no agenda and, uh, Edward Bernays propaganda that really, uh, kind of, uh, pushed me over the edge. And I was like, wait a minute, this, this whole world of politics that we were being sold is it's not, it's not true. So long, a long answer to a short question. No, that's more than fine. Yeah. We find a lot of people nine 11 around that time. It was a big, uh, awakening for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally bought into it, man, for several years. And then it was just like little by little things started to not make sense. You right. know? And, and I was really, you know, I started looking into the, all the money that the military industrial complex, mm-hmm. you know, would take in. And I was like, wait a minute, there's, there's too much incentive to keep these wars and these different things going, going on. So there's gotta be more to the story. 
Yeah, for sure. Endless wars are definitely part of the uh, elite's agenda. So let's get into that. Where does this group of elites, the Council on Foreign Relations, the CNP, Bilderberg, Bilderberg, Trilateral, all of those, where does it all start? Like, when did those groups start coming together? Well, it's crazy, man. It started at the end of the 1800s uh, over in, well, I guess you could say it started in the UK, but really in Africa. Uh, probably everyone's heard of Cecil Rhodes, mm-hmm. the Rhodes Scholarships, um, but he was a diamond miner uh, in Africa and South Africa to be uh, exact. And he was funded by the Rothschilds to go over and uh, mine the diamonds and the gold. And it was, it was a, a rich area for that type of minerals. And so he became just unbelievably wealthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really, if you look into it, the main reason that there are so many English speaking people there in uh, South Africa is because of Cecil Rhodes. And he started this diamond craze. People kind of went over there for the diamond and gold rush. And so he made it a real tourist attraction. Um, he ended up being there. Um, I think he was their PM, their prime minister for a few mm-hmm. years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he had went to college and he had this professor named uh, John Ruskin, and he was kind of uh, kind of into like new agey stuff. And uh, he, but also he was kind of like this uh, English first kind of guy. And he really believed that the English people were the, the best people in the world. And he kind of drilled that into the students' heads and it stuck with uh, Cecil Rhodes. And, you know, he'd made so much money. I think it's like all these elites, you see them just like, um, Bezos, you know, he, he stepped, yeah. he stepped down to do all this, uh, quote unquote philanthropy and stuff. They get tired of the money and they want to do other things like take over the world. And, and it was no different with uh, Cecil Rhodes. So he was hobnobbing with all of his well-to-do friends, um, which were all by the way, uh, Freemasons. They all belong to a certain Masonic lodge. I can't remember the name now, but it's easily uh, looked up and, uh, but they're all, well-to-do in, in high positions of power from uh, England. And he decided that, why don't we put together uh, these wills? Well, actually, before that, he decided, let's put together this one group of us elites. We'll, call, we'll give it a name. Mm-hmm. We'll call it the Society of the Elect. Okay. And uh, he started thinking, maybe I should do something more than just have one group. Let's have a whole bunch of groups and create this system kind of a caste system and uh, work towards taking over the world and taking back America for England. And so as crazy as it sounds, he was only, I think he was only in his mid twenties at that point. And uh, he started drawing up these wills that would leave his money to go to forming these secret societies. Wow. I, so the early uh, 20 or being in your 20s writing out wills that seems sort of unusual i know people died earlier back in the yeah, day but I, i'm like in that. my 20s and i don't have a will written out you know <laughs> exactly yeah i know man it's unbelievable to look back and, and see how much forethought he had he yeah. must have been an incredibly intelligent person and right. the legend has it that he was like one of these people who could walk into a room and everybody would just go right to him and he, he kind of mesmerized people and mm. uh he was kind of a tall handsome kind of big guy um and so also the rumor is that he was gay but that was it's never been a, 
he was never married, never had any kids, so that was never right. completely confirmed. But there's a lot of rumors about that. Yeah, guys that go unmarried that that usually is the rumor people start. But yeah, yeah, yeah. and and him being so rich, you know, usually some chick would <laughs> would finally uh, right latch on to him somehow. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. um, he wrote some um, short, a couple of short books um, when he was planning this. So there's one quote here. It says, I contend that we are the finest race in the world hmm. and that the more of the world we inhabit, the better it is for human race. Just fancy those parts that are present inhabited by the most despicable specimens of human beings. So <laughs> yeah, it was a real elitist for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. That just smells like English colonialism. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and he really had... Uh, he really had a group of powerful people, I mean, in their own right. Um, so he, um, he had, I'm, I'm looking here, I forget some of the names, but um, his, his first group that he started had uh, one of the Rothschilds. I think it was, uh, oh gosh, what is his name? I'm forgetting now. He's not one you hear about very yeah, often. That's all right. Uh, I think it was, I think it was Nathan Rothschild. Mm. Uh, he had um, this guy named Robert Brand, uh, Lord Reginald Brett, um, author Lord Balfour, and you've heard of Balfour and the Balfour De- Declaration, yeah, right? That uh, so yeah, he's it was a real elite group of guys, and um, you know they just they started planning these secret societies and what they were going to do, and uh, first they're going to take over Africa, South Africa and then start to move their way towards other parts of the world. And, uh, you know, they made a pretty good, pretty good move at it. But, um, yeah, he was the prime minister there for a few years. And uh, he really brought a lot of people over there and made a lot of money for South Africa and his friends, of course, because right. they controlled everything. But uh, he, for some reason, he knew that he was going to die young. And he was pretty open about that. And that was hmm. one of the reasons he decided to create these wills. And he created, I think it was seven different wills that had specific directions on how to create these secret societies. And um, out of that also came the uh, Rhodes Scholarships, which are pretty famous. Right, yeah. And he, he even put in there uh, specific things because he wanted people, he, he mainly wanted young men who were single with no aspirations of getting married because he said that, you know, if you, you, you're, you got a girl. Are you there? Can you hear us? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, okay. Sorry. It got a little glitchy. Uh, what were you saying? Uh, I was uh, just saying that, um, he was specific about the kind of, uh, guys that he wanted right. to bring into the society. Uh, and especially with the road scholars, he wanted them to be single men because mm-hmm. he said, if you know you were single, uh, nothing would get in your way of going towards this one world order that he was trying to create for the English. Right, those so girlfriends will take was, you away really, and distract you. Yeah, the old <laughs> ball and chain will get in the way of right. building the, the new world order. You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what groups uh, came out of this? Like, did the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, is he directly correlated with these groups? Or, well, they actually came 
out after he passed away. So they created the Society of the Elect. Mm. And his idea was to create these other, like a a section or a, a group of these elite societies. So he had uh, a society of helpers. Uh, he had, uh, uh, let's see, the group of initiates, a circle of initiates, which were hmm. the younger people that they were kind of trying to train to be more like them and to to do what they wanted them to do. And, um, you know, he, uh, after he died, he, he died in 1902, if I'm not mistaken. And immediately he left most of his money to this guy, one of his right-hand men, his name was Lord Alfred Milner. Hmm. And this guy was really ruthless. But uh, immediately he formed another elite society called the Pilgrim Society. Right, right, and, right. And uh, people he decided like, immediately, he's like, what's that? I was just going to say, people like Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, John Rockefeller, those are the guys in the Pilgrim Society, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. There was um, There was an English version of the Pilgrim Society, an English branch, and there was an American branch. Okay. And, you know, Cecil, he just wanted to have the New World Order be the Brits, but Alfred Milner and uh, the Rockefeller, or the Rothschilds, they decided, hey, let's make this an English-speaking right. type of thing. So let's bring in the U.S. and let's bring in Canada. Uh, it says here the, the London chapter of the Pilgrim Society had bunch of guys that I'd never really heard of, to, to be honest. I mentioned a couple of them before. Uh, Lord Roseberry, Lord Robert Brand, mm-hmm. Lord Reginald Brett, uh, author Lord Balfour, uh, Albert's Lord Grey, Lord Rothschild, uh, John Jacob Astor, and Alfred Bayet, uh, and also Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy that wrote mm. Sherlock Holmes, right. was actually a member. Uh, Henry Kerr, a guy named the Marquess of Lothian and uh, H.G. Wells, I guess, was the most famous one. So hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because H.G. Wells was uh, also, you know, he was a Fabian, Fabian Society member and a Fabian socialist. And he, he was the one, of course, wrote uh, New World Order and Open Society and uh, New Worlds for Old. So he was really early on writing the plan to kind of put this world government together. So he's kind of playing, you know, he's kind of playing on the socialist side, but also on this other side that um, I would probably call corporatism because there was nothing about a free market. You know, they wanted right. to uh, it's the illusion stack of free the market. deck. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, speaking of these think tanks that come out of these uh, these secret societies, one that's taken a backseat for a long time and has recently uh, become more prominent is the Council on National Policy. Do you know anything about the origins of, of that think tank? Well, I know that they were started in 1981, and I'm not real familiar with them. I had uh, John Grisson on my show recently, and he's the man to go to he's about that. Yeah, he's great. Um, you know, in all my research, I've never run into them, so they are super secret, but Mm-hmm. I'll say this. Uh, I think they're more national. I'm sure they have some uh, control over foreign policy and stuff like that. 
but mm-hmm. I just don't believe, and I could be wrong. I could see information later on that would make me realize that I am wrong. But with the, the Council on Foreign Relations, which we'll get to in a minute, right? Uh, which was another, uh, it came out of the Rhodes Society, the Rhodes Roundtables, as they called these groups. Mm-hmm. And they were formed in 1921. Uh, and I'll get back to uh, Council for National Policy in just okay. a second. But I think it's important to, to note, uh, so they... And when Rhodes died, they formed the uh, the Pilgrim Society, mm-hmm. and it had the you had your English and you had your your uh, the the United States branch, which was formed in New York. And I think you mentioned uh, who a couple of people that were in there, but it was uh, I'll just mention a couple here too: uh, James Warburg, uh, David Vanderlip, um, Benjamin Strong, Nelson Aldridge. Uh, the founders of Kuhn and Loeb, a uh, couple of Rothschilds here. And um, most of those guys went on to help form this, the Federal Reserve. Right. 1917, so, the creature Jack Wyland, man. Yeah. It's one of the right, right. worst things yeah, that ever exactly. happened. Yeah. But um, so out of that and out of the uh, Society of the Elect, they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which was before the Council on Foreign Relations, but it did the same thing. It was uh, the it was just the UK branch of that, mm-hmm. and they were going to call the uh, the American branch something. Uh, the Royal Institute of International um, Affairs, I think it was American Institute of International Affairs, if I remember correctly. But they decided, no, let's do something completely different, and they did the Council on Foreign Relations. Ah, I see. So the Council for National Policy supposedly was formed by more hard-line right-wingers to kind of combat the Council on Foreign Relations. Right. It's like the right-wing deep state that was formed. Right. It's kind of like a counter. Right. Right. And even though people like Cheney, Dick Cheney, have been in both, there's been quite a few people who've been in both groups at different times. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I don't think it matters too much to the elite you know, they might hide under the facade of their, you know, social liberals or their Christian conservatives or whatever. But I don't think when it really comes down to it, that any of that stuff means anything to them. I think it's just a facade to get whatever they want, you know. And right. That was going to be one of my next questions. I was going to say, it, it seems as though the central bankers, the elite are backing this this left wing ideology and this left wing movement right now. And it's um, it, it seems to be the side that they're backing. But I, what I was going to ask you is, are these elites also backing the the CNP wing that's that that seems to be fighting against the Council on Foreign Relations guys? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make total sense. And you know, honestly, I haven't done a deep dive into the CNP because they're so new to me. I mean, I've looked a little bit, and it's I it's impossible find to find because... information on them. I mean, right. But but some yeah. of the things that that I noted um, that Trump has ties to him, um, the guys like Alex Jones and Ali Alexander with the Stop the Steal movement, they they're all part of this uh, CNP think tank, and I mean that's just the biggest question I have about these guys. These guys are mostly mysterious, but but it's like, are the central bankers also backing these guys? In your opinion? Gotcha. So I haven't seen any uh, evidence of that. Uh, you know, I I would just say this, and I've got a long way to go as far as you know, really getting into the CMP. And 
all the ins and outs, but with it being so hard to find out who's even on their roster, I don't know how credible the information is. Um, And so it's hard to tell with the council on foreign relations, they have such a vast scope, uh, just a vast range of influence because not only do they have the council on foreign relations in New York and Washington, and then they have the Royal Institute of international affairs, or sometimes it's called Chatham house in the UK. They have all these other, uh, different institutes in different countries and sometimes more than one in certain countries. And then they have certain city uh, councils in certain cities, like the Chicago council is one of the biggest ones. And a lot of shadiness comes out of that, of course, in Chicago. And it's just a, known for criminals and mafioso and bad politicians. But, uh, and then not only that, but they have something else called the council of councils, and I just did a video on that, but that's just, it's just so influential. And it's just, when you really start to look into the, the CFR, we're celebrating a hundred years of them being around. They formed in 1921 uh, yeah. and they have, uh, these other sister organizations too, like the Brookings Institute. Uh, the Aspen Institute was formed by council and foreign relations members. Um, there's people from the Atlantic council and the Rand Corp that were council and foreign relations members. I think that what happened in my opinion is people realized how influential the council and foreign relations had become. And, and we're like, we've got to capitalize on this. We can form our own type of thing and maybe we won't be quite as powerful, but we can work with them to get some of the things that we want done because these NGOs bring in tons of money right. and, and not just money, but their influence is unbelievable. You know, and a lot of um, policies that the council on foreign relations write up becomes law and it becomes policies, especially yeah. foreign policy. And, you know, we were talking earlier, there's so much money in the, you know, involved with the military industrial complex and, sure. and wars and all these different things going on that you know that's definitely definitely an opportunity there and i I think honestly there's money laundering being uh going on with some of these institutions like the you know like the clinton foundation obviously they were laundering money without a doubt and i think that the rockefellers figured out how to do that years ago and they were one of the biggest uh proponents of the council on foreign relations so i think that's what's going on with a lot of these institutions not only do they have influence and, and they're basically uh, training people to go into these presidential administrations. But I think that there's a lot of money coming in there, dark money that we'll you know, probably never know all about. It for sure. And as you dig deeper, you just find that all these politicians and influential people are members of these societies. Like the Chatham House Prize was given to Hillary Clinton in 2013, Bill and Melinda Gates in 2014. John Kerry, 2016, like all these high influential political people are parts of these societies and on both sides too. It's, it's two wings of the same bird. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you can't tell the average person that because they watch, you know, they watch corporate media or they listen to, you know, podcasts and and talk radio and they kind of give them this other version and not not that there's not good podcast and radio out there, but right. it's like a lot of the stuff that mainstreamers are listening to, as you guys know, is it's just telling you one side or the other, and they're missing 
tons and tons of the facts that are going on behind the scenes. So it just keeps people fighting and, and they never learn much, much of anything. I think that's part and fault because big tech has algorithms and they just know what side you're on and they just push information to you to get you farther on that side. So we're all divided. They just don't want us coming together on anything. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think you're completely correct on that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that ties back to the, the CNP. I know that Steve Bannon's connected with the CNP, and he has connections to Cambridge Analytica. And there's a popular theory out there that Cambridge Analytica is what is the tool that was used to select a guy like Donald Trump to absolutely polarize the country, to put you on one side or the other. And um, yeah. And and that's just that's just an example of how these think tanks work. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's just it's it's blatantly obvious at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to do a deep dive into the CNP. Like I said, uh, John Brisson's the man to go to on that. Um, there is an author that uh, he referenced to me named Anne. See, I got her name here, Anne Nelson. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a book about them called Shadow Network. And I did a. I just kind of uh, went on a binge the last couple of days listening to interviews of her and she just kind of disgusted me. And I'm starting to wonder if she's even credible because <laughs> uh, she, she revealed that she'd been a member of the council of foreign relations for 25 years. Yeah. You but don't, you not don't only get that, in there without, she, sorry, you don't get in there without being bought. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And you know, she's, she's a, a Yale educated, a Columbia educated, mm-hmm. She's your typical, you know, East Coast uh, limousine liberal. I mean, (laughs) you know, and it was so obvious to me in her interviews that she was kept talking about how the CMP has these relations to oil companies. And I'm like, have you not looked at your corporate membership on the Council on Foreign Relations? (laughs) I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I think we can expose both of these groups. But, you know, the council is so powerful and every big corporation is a member. And it's like. She's talking about the money in the CMP. And she was at one point she was talking about, she was like, and they've got this grant that they can uh, actually give people who think, you know, think right wing and they can become lawyers for free and stuff like that and go to college for free. And I'm like, Rhodes scholarships been around for almost a hundred years. What, you know, what's the difference? But I realized after listening to about five of her interviews that, really her whole thing mostly besides she just you know she's against um conservatism but um is she is pissed because there's another group that does things and they're a little bit secretive about it or a lot secretive about it but it's not they they don't control it you know because council foreign relations basically is such a big network they control you know the mainstream media They've got everybody, the military, academia. Right. And so she's, I don't think she's really pissed off about any of the corruption. I think she's pissed off just because there's another group that's giving them some competition, to be honest. Wow. And I keep telling people that these groups control the textbooks. And once you control what your kids are learning, they can bring up a generation completely uh, formed to what they want, you know, and... It's, it's the Rockefeller a, education system. Right. Is exactly what it is. And I mean, you find the Rockefellers are, are funding both sides. They're funding the Council, Council on Foreign Relations as well as the CNP. And the Trilateral Commission. That's so the Rockefeller it's like, it's like Foundation. These guys have their hands in everything. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, one of my earlier podcasts, I can't remember all the councils in the institutes now, but I filmed this video and they, um, they named off like six or eight councils that have to do with economics and money that, mm-hmm. uh, David Rockefeller was the head of. And, uh, and he was also, he's like an honorary, uh, lifetime member of the council of foreign relations. Huh. I think they call him, um, president emeritus or something like that. So grand wizard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's crazy to me that all these early American industrialists that just made money either on railroads or oil or something can control the world now with these institutes. It's, it's really unsettling. It really is. And people, you know, they, their excuse when you read something about when they're rarely ever are they ever confronted because when they when a member of the cfr or one of these other institutes if they're ever asked about it which is super rare uh they'll just say well we're a group of professionals we're a group of people who know what we're doing we're all professionals in our particular field and so why wouldn't you want professionals to give your government advice like that's all they do you know because and nobody ever pushes them and says, well, yeah, but you're, you, you always get your members into the presidential administrations. Right. You guys actually write policies mm-hmm. and they become law. You know, right. they don't talk about all these other connections. And nobody elected a, a Rockefeller or a Rothschild, you know, into, into exactly. a place of right. power like that. They've just, well, they've just bought their way into there. To be fair, I don't think anyone's really elected. They, they I could agree with that. <laughs> Like Joe Biden now has 10 or 11 or a dozen uh, appointees out of CFR. Like that's, that's just insane. Even more than that, man, I, I lost count at 18, I think that was uh, two weeks ago. And it's so easily re- referenceable, you know, but people right. don't know about it. That's, that's a weird thing too, to me is like, you know, the, the Council on Foreign Relations and, and none of these other groups besides the CMP are really that secretive. Um, but, well, the Bilderberg's pretty secretive. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, people don't know. And, and how would they ever know if they if all they watch is mainstream media and listen right. to mainstream radio? It's like they'll never know about these other groups. I and, can give uh, those people that have never been exposed to it the benefit of doubt. But people that are exposed to this information and just disregard it, that got to be them fluoridating their brains or something. I, I just can't understand how we can present so much evidence towards one thing and they, they still don't get it. You know, they don't care. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was actually, I went to, uh, I mentioned that show, No Agenda, and I mm-hmm. went to one of their, they do these meetups. Uh, you know, all over the country just for right. fans. They'll go meet up. So I did that uh, locally here couple weeks ago or maybe like a month ago and I met some really cool people I didn't know anybody but um you know I was sitting around and I was telling them you know I do a podcast to them blah 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 mm-hmm. we're talking about government and just politics in general and this one guy pops up and he's like but I don't think any conspiracies have ever been proven and I was like <laughs> what and then I was like well and I just done a show on the Council on Foreign Relations and the whole global thing, because that's what, you know, I talk about that a lot. It's right. always, it always comes up. And I was like, well, there is one. And I'll ask him if he'd heard of the Council on Foreign Relations. He's like, uh, yeah, I think so. And anyway, I was explaining to him how all these different institutions, their people network together, and they all have similar goals. And that's how they control governments and policies. 
And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but you know, there's groups within every, you know, he's like, I work at a doctor's office. We have this group of people that we hang out with, you know, and, and we wouldn't hang out with this other group of people. And, you know, he was just trying to uh, say that it was not a big deal. There's nothing unusual about it. Right. And I was trying to make him understand how these people are powerful and they have powerful positions and they know people who are powerful as well. And, you know, it's just, um, it's personnel is policy. I mean, it's, it's the way it works. It's like the mafia. <laughs> right. Um, I want to ask you something. Do you think that they use deep fakes? Do you know what a deep fake is? How they take a video and yeah. uh, alter it? Do you think they're using those? Because some of the Trump videos that he released like prior to the uh, inauguration look like they were deep fakes. Do, do you have any insight on... You know, I don't have any special insight, mm-hmm. but it, nothing would surprise me at this point. Right. I mean, you know, when they, I, I remember saying back when the news first came out about deep fakes a few years ago, I'm like, you know, they're going to be using the, that on the public eventually. And, uh, and think of how easily, easily somebody could be blackmailed or yeah. uh, framed with these kind of things, you know, right. It's really terrifying. You can but, do anything uh, yeah. with Photoshop for sure. Right. Right. So uh, nothing would surprise me at this point. I, yeah, I see the stuff going around about uh, Biden. You know, he's not in the real Oval Office. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I just, I don't know, man. I, you I don't know, see the point of him not being in the Oval Office. You know, I don't see the point in conti- continuing to carry on the farce if if, if Trump was going to actually come back and take the presidency over. And, right, and that's kind of what I, mean, I want. That's kind of what I what I want to get to. You've been really outspoken in previous podcasts about. Um, how the truth movement kind of infights within itself, and you don't know who's reliable, you don't know who's not, and and what it, what it seems like is the the whole Biden's not actually the president. The president is like a is like an extension of of the Q movement. Um, yeah. What do you what do you have to say about the Q movement? And yeah, was it all a psyop? Is it like some information's good? Like who was it? Who was putting that information out there? We know there's there's a lot of different uh, ideas out there. You know, mm-hmm. Isaac Weishaupt said it was Bannon. I think Billy Ray Valentine did too. Yeah. And they could be right. They had great information. Um, I thought as soon as I started getting into Q, I thought that it could be a guy named Cass Sunstein mm-hmm. who worked in the Obama administration because he's written books about how to infiltrate. I mean, early on, we're talking 2008, 2009, he was writing books about how the government could possibly go into chat rooms and pretend to be somebody they're not and kind of infiltrate the chat room and and change people's minds, change conspiracy theorists' minds about this or that or the other. And he's written a book about libertarians and how he basically thinks that they're crazy and, and how you could possibly go in and change their minds about different things. And I'm like, you start looking at his quotes. It really sounds like possibly what Q did, what I think they did. Uh, but I think they did, you know, of course they had some information that was correct, but a lot of the information I think that was correct was pretty easily found. You know, Right. Right. It, it wasn't anything you had to really dig for. It was just enough to um, make it a valid source of information but, but what it seems like to me is that you're in the camp that it was counter intel rather than I think so. rather than like um, the Isaac Weisops and the Billy Ray Valentine seem to think that 
it's part of Cambridge Analytica, which Trump was using and as well as used Trump to yeah. create this movement. But you think it was more of like the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, the, the left end of the spectrum, using it as like a PSYOP. I do. Maybe even uh, maybe even the intel community. Uh, it sounds like something they would do. Right. Um, because I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, it, it got a lot of people interested. And that seems like that would go against what, you know, people on the left or the deep state would want. But then if you think about it and the mind tricks that they've been known to play, it got people interested. But it was almost like they got interested like it was um, – I don't know, like a mystery or like a, you know, like a ball game or a sport or something. Yeah. And it was, it became something to do. And then people's grandmothers were into Q all of a sudden. You right. Know? Right. And it was like, they were saying all these crazy things. Some of the stuff sounded like it had some credibility, but then promise after promise would never happen. And it was just like, they would totally ignore it and say, oh, that's, you know, it's 4D chess or whatever. It's part of the plan. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, okay, right. but you know, Nothing that they said would, you know, has happened, and then somebody would bring up one or two little things that had happened, you know, and everybody would just, lose their mind. They'd right. be like, "Oh, it's, yeah. a Q, it's a Q proof." That that became a buzzword, a Q proof, and I, oh, wow. I think it created a uh, a culture a culture of complacency. Yeah, I think it subdued the population. Like they, it was all trust the plan, don't worry, sit back, and the military is going to handle it. We're going to take out all these child molesters on the left, as if it was but, a done deal. Right. And, right. and instead of going out on the streets and protesting or actually taking action, it said, no, just sit back. We got it. Trust the plan. And I, I think it was just more of a sub submission type thing, like stay in your house. Don't don't get, yeah. do anything crazy. Well, it also exactly. it also yeah. created a target for the mainstream me mainstream media. Uh, to, they could paint these guys as like the Q cult mm -hmm. and, and it could it could create a group identity out of these people and, and thus make them make them seem crazy make them make them a target and I think that it, it was a, it was actually a genius psyop and I agree with you I think it was more of like the uh, the Obamas and the Clintons like that end of the Council on Foreign Relations doing this yeah. I don't think Trump had anything to do with it all our Q people are done listening to this after this <laughs> I know man it's, it's crazy but I mean you gotta admit when you when you get got you know yeah that's just yeah. part of it yeah. everybody gets got and I was hopeful of it, but I, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'll say if I hadn't, by the time uh, Trump had, you know, ran this past time, I had, or the time before when he became president, I was already kind of like, I was totally done with Republicans because I was like, man, they have lied. I, I've right. been in the in the game now long enough to realize they lie time and time again, and right. and it's almost like they just show up and say, "Hey, you know, we're here to pretend like we're going to stand up for the Constitution and this, that, and the other," but they don't do anything, you know, and yeah. they drop the ball every single time. And so I was just done with them by that point. And then when he came along, I was like, I honestly didn't even take him serious because he had ran once before and he dropped out pretty early. Uh, but you know when he began to make traction started I was like, one in a couple primaries you know yeah yeah because yeah. mm -hmm. i i kind of like Rand paul but i was kind of still like i'm done with you know i'm not even gonna devote this year and whatever but uh i ended up voting for gary johnson which i kind of regret mm -hmm. but you know at <laughs> yeah, least he was i was guy. a jill stein guy back then <laughs> yeah right yeah well she said some good stuff she, right. she wanted to cut the military budget and i'm all for that because we sure. spend t way too much on the military we need to yeah. quit making bombs, but 
Um, yeah, people like Ron Paul and Rand Paul, these libertarians are like, they're their idols. But aren't they all tied into it too? Aren't they part of the, these Well, groups? you know, uh, according to John, yeah, uh, John Brisson, um, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. But, you know, it's like, like I said, I've got to really dive into this more. The way I look at these things is I just don't have any political heroes anymore. And mm-hmm. Ron Paul was the closest one that I had. And I still believe like a lot of this. I mean, like even his show today, I check it out every now and then. And mm-hmm. he's still saying great things. Right, Speaking out and, against the Federal Reserve for one. Yeah, and he, you know, he's saying things that are true regardless of whatever his ties are. Right. So I'm at the point now where I'm like, I don't trust any of them. But if they say things that I believe in and I think are true, then I'm going to, you know, say yes, I do believe in that because it sure as hell better than you know outright supporting somebody who's <laughs> saying things that you totally disagree with. And in politics, it's like, like I said, it's kind of like the mafia. I mean. I haven't looked into the CMP enough to know, but it may be one of those things where if you're going to run for any type of office, you almost have to do this, mm-hmm. you know, do like a, a speech at their place or whatever to get uh, any traction because it's such a game, you know, it's like everything's rigged. And, you know, the, the like you, like when you guys said, uh, I think that uh, presidents are probably selected you know instead mm-hmm. of elected right but some of these other guys they may not realize that and some of the other positions in government may still be uh, elected so it may just be one of those things where okay all i got to go speak in front of this group you know and it's yeah. one thing for a senator to do it but for a, a you know like Pre- president trump spoke in front of them i think twice so that's a huge deal when a president speaks in front of a group but yeah. Time Magazine just put out an article that said there was a concerted effort to make sure Joe Biden won, and that's just it right there. Powerful people making sure the right, right. who they want gets elected. They that, basically that's all outlined the steal of the election, and I don't know if you've if you've seen it or not, but they they outline how they selected poll workers and mm-hmm. and uh, like selective media use and social media um, censorship things like that. But they're painting it as a good thing, and it, it was just a massive propaganda piece. But it's wow. it's a you, if you haven't seen that yeah. episode, I I would look into it. I, I think it's yeah. called something like the uh, the shadow government effort in in for okay they use the word fortifying this election right, uh, and then just put in Time Magazine after that. I I, I implore everybody who's listening to yeah, it was just blatantly they said yeah we made sure he got in. And no one batted an eye. They said, yeah, that sounds good. You know, it's almost like yeah, convincing you of it at mm-hmm. this point. Well, you know, he's he was a CFR guy at one time. I don't think he was in there very long because they're they tend to be these intellectuals or they like to think of themselves as as such. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's just not an intellectual by any means. And it, by, I'm not either. But, you know, I, I would admit it. But, um, you know, damn near, you know. Like I said, I think I lost count at 18, maybe 19 council members. He's already appointed, you know, and it just started. And um, you look at the people who've been in the Council of Foreign Relations, it's, it's everybody who's important. Uh, nearly every CIA director, mm-hmm. uh, nearly every uh, NATO, um, what, what's the uh, ambassador? Secretary of State, like all of Secretary, them. Yeah, Secretary of State. It just it goes on and on. Every presidential administration has had council members in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
some more than not. So I think Trump had 10 or so, um, you know, and people forget about that too. Cause I've heard people, you know, a lot of people get mad at me because I say, well, he had these globalists in the, in his administration. And if he was going to drain the swamp, then why did he keep sticking CFR members in there? Yeah. But, uh, people you know. say he's anti-establishment, but he's not completely anti-establishment. He might right. be a little bit out of it, but and right. it, ju- yeah. it just goes to the point that anybody in any position of influence or power is tied to one of these groups or think tanks and um, it's unavoidable at this point. But what I want to get to is even guys like Tucker Carlson in the media or, um, well, what's CNN's guy? Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper. They're all, they're all tied to these think tanks and agencies. So to you, wh- what do you think a reliable source of information is? Is there anybody out there? Because the guys like the Alex Joneses, they're, everybody's compromised is what it seems like. Yeah, that's a great question, man. I... You know, I, I don't really have any sources that I completely trust anymore, unfortunately. Um, I, I do look at people like, uh, you know, like John Brisson and like uh, Isaac Weishaupt and these mm-hmm. guys that I can tell put the time in to really, really study things. And basically what I do is I still follow like Reason Magazine, even though I don't always agree with them. I still follow the New American, even though, you know, John Brisson brought to my attention that they were in part at least started and their, their initial funding was by CMP members because mm-hmm. they do good, you know, they do good uh, articles right. and they talk about things that other people won't talk about. So that's what, what I look for is does this outlet, does it talk about the corruption in both parties? Because if it's only one side, you know, if it's all, if it's only conservative, 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 or mm-hmm. liberal, 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 then I don't want any part of it. Uh, and, and so at least, those couple of uh, ones that I mentioned will talk about corruption on both sides. Of course, they, they lean more to the right in certain issues, but right. that's the thing I look for. If you're, you know, like Breitbart, uh, you know, I, you know, it, as soon as you start reading a Breitbart article, it's going to say liberal, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I know that that the people are talking about, it, I know they're liberal. I don't need you to tell me that every five yeah, sentences, you know, exactly. <laughs> Cause that's indoctrination. You know, I, so anyway, I, I, I'm I'm really suspicious of a lot of you know a lot of outlets now because you know we think even if they're not CFR then a lot of the you know a lot of the independent media is is suspicious now because it's suspect because of the Q stuff and for sure you just don't know who's you know, who's I, got ties to who. I tend to listen to the people that are getting uh, banned. If big tech is taking your stuff down, you're probably saying something that's too close to the truth that they don't want you to know. So I, I, I look for that. But I love Isaac Weishaupt. Him and me were saying some of the same stuff about the Super Bowl cult show. I, I knew Tom Brady, the GOAT, was going to win his seventh ring yesterday. And it it's, it's, uh, it, it, it is hard to find someone that's foolproof, but... You're right. We we can't find these people that mostly have a good idea what's going on. I will mention a, another um, source is 21stCenturyWire.com. Hmm. I haven't uh, heard I've of that. Been one. On, yeah, I've been on the show with Patrick, who uh, runs that, he, and he's like one of the the last real journalists who goes out there and really tries to get the stories. And uh, you know, I can't tell which side he's coming from. So that's what you want in a journal. <laughs> that's a good that's thing, always yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Odd Man, before we wrap it up here, do you want to let the people know where they can reach you, where they can find your work? Yeah, man. Uh, so I guess the best place to find my podcast is alternatecurrentradio.com and just go down through there. And I think there's several podcasts that they do, but I think mine's like the third one, maybe mm-hmm. fourth one. Awesome. And uh, as far as following me, uh, the best place to find me is either Twitter or Instagram. And both of those are underscore the odd man out. And yeah, I'll be happy to a- answer any questions anybody wants to ask. And uh, I can recommend books about the whole global elite and council on foreign relations and stuff like that. So yeah, cool. So the last thing before we let you go, man, we, we kind of wrap up with this with most of our guests, but uh, instead of being really black pill and saying we're all you know we're all kind of fucked, there's nothing we can do. What can we do about this? It seems like everybody's compromised, and uh, all that's left is the little guys, the grassroots, you know, guys like us. Right. What's the best way to fight the system? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, there's not any real easy answer. I would say course, I'm at the point where I'm like. Each individual kind of needs to just take care of themselves right now and their family and their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, get a new hobby. <laughs> I know it sounds <laughs> cheesy, but maybe learn to grow some grow some plants and oh, yeah. food. I'm all and, about uh, self-sustainability. Yeah, man. Yeah, get some chickens and yep. uh, do stuff like that. And uh, also, you know, I think it's good to, you know, like uh, – they do these, uh, I'm kind of blanking on the name, but uh, where these different podcasters will get together from different shows. Swapcast. Swapcast, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that I've been thinking about trying to do a, a Swapcast too, uh, you know, with us guys that are not as big as some of these other dudes. Right. Yeah. Because I think that yeah. would be, you know, we need each other, honestly. And, uh, and we need to stick together because the censorship has just begun, I think, under, you know, I almost said O'Biden. yeah you you might get pinged if you say some choice words but yeah we got put together through our mutual friend jack allen he's great i love his stuff so if you ever want to get back together do another episode do anything just feel free let us know yeah let's hit him up we can maybe do a three-way swap cast and get it cracking an old devil's three-way huh (laughs) yeah absolutely man yeah i think that would be cool i think that uh we need to do stuff like that because you know if we don't stick together man they're gonna try and tear all independent media apart. Amen. For Amen. sure, man. We'll build a network. Well, keep doing the great work you're doing. Keep hunting for the truth. That's that's all I can tell you. <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Talk to you later. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Odd Man is a longtime truth seeker, and it was real good to talk to him. Hope we can talk to him again in the future. Um, go show his work some love. All his links are in the show notes. All of our links are in the show notes. Go like our pages too. And that's all I got for you today. Take it away, Mulder. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer. Because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth.